0: So glad you can join us. Yes, this is a new edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. It's the Monday edition. Hopefully you survived your weekend well and had a good time. Some great basketball games, some great grilling out I was able to do. I had a great time. Listen, we've got a good show for you today. We're going to break some news in the second interview with my good friend, the former Senate investigator, the current head of a very important whistleblower center, Jason Foster. He is going to enlighten us on a four or five year effort by himself, by Senator Grassley and others to unmask and investigate a really serious ethical, egregious ethical situation inside the Veterans Administration. He's going to join us second up, but first, Lauren Adams, Legal Director for the Women's Liberation Front. This is a very liberal feminist, overtly and openly liberal, but who has found much common ground with conservatives in America the last several months she is fighting and suing to keep biological males out of the prison cells of females. In California, particularly, there's quite a racket. All you have to do is say is you identify as a woman and you can get into the female prison. There have been some horrific sexual assaults and physical assaults and psychological torment going on in the California female prison system because of this policy. Lord Adams sued that. She has a lot to say about Leah Thomas, a biological male identifying as a female, competing in the NCAA female swimming championship and winning. And a a little bit to say about, believe it or not, Judge Jackson's inability during last week's Supreme Court nomination hearing to be able to define what a woman is. I think she took great umbrage to that, Lauren Adams. We're going to ask her about that as well. Great show today. We're going to take a quick commercial break, get queued up. When we come back, Lauren Adams, first up, Legal Director for the Women's Liberation Front, followed by my good friend, the great investigator, the great whistleblower champion, Jason Foster. What a show. Hope you enjoy it. Hey, folks, have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower All right, folks, welcome back to from the commercial break. So glad you rejoined us. We have a great guest. She's been on this podcast before, uh, doing some really important work in the, the space of prisons. And of course, we, among many uh, uh, examples of the con- continuing censorship that's going on in America, it's a head scratcher. Joining me right now is Lauren Adams, Legal Director for the Women's Liberation Front. Lauren, great to have you on the show today.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: I want to start just to remind people, because it's been a while since you're on the show, what the Women's Liberation Fund does and, and, you know, its stances and what it's particularly tried to do in the state of California against the prison system.
2: Yeah. So we are the um, largest uh, national feminist organization who is working on women's rights. Um, Most of the the real big hitters, women's rights organizations don't actually fight for women's rights anymore. Um, So... You know, there's other groups that have had to step up and and take over on that. In California, we are currently, we've sued the state of California over their policy of putting male offenders into women's prisons. They passed a bill um, that took effect last year, um, early last year, that allowed people to, um, in the prison setting, to choose what sex they are treated as for the purposes of housing and for other purposes and there have been about 300 requests from the men's prison to transfer to the women's prison and they've already transferred several dozen um which has had a number of awful effects and it's a it's inhumane and it's a violation of their rights so we are seeking to rectify that
0: (laughs) yeah and when you say negative effects right there there have been sexual assaults in the prison by some of these biological males on biological females correct
2: Yeah, sexual assaults, physical assaults, sexual harassment, intimidation, threats, exhibitionism, voyeurism. I mean, there's no privacy in there. So it's really easy to kind of get peeped on, and it's almost impossible to prove that someone's doing it intentionally, but you have them. Almost all of these men are, you know, almost none of them have had surgery of any kind or anything. So these are just regular intact men.
0: Yep. They just say they identify as a woman, but they're clear biological males.
2: The law only requires that they say that they identify right. they don't have to identify as women, actually. Right. They just have to identify as not men so they can identify as I think the statute says they can be non-binary, gender fluid, gender queer. And they give a bunch of other examples. Categories. Because, yeah. yeah. I mean, all you literally have you don't have to say you identify as a woman. You don't have to take hormones. The prisons are not allowed to take anatomy into account when making housing decisions. So essentially. And since there's no women transferring to the men's prison, we essentially now have men's prisons and co-ed prisons, basically.
0: Wow. Unreal. That's a remarkable moment. And I want to clarify, you're not, you're, you're not discriminating. You don't have any problem with uh, a person's choice to identify. What you're worried about is the safety and security issues that, uh, and psychological uh, things that, that this is causing for the women in the prison, correct?
2: Absolutely, and there's two really, I guess, important things to remember. And one is that our arguments are really based on sex. So we are seeking to have men, male people, removed from the women's prison. There are a lot of biological females in the women's prison who identify as men or identify as non-binary, and we want them to stay put where it's safe. You know, so it's really, it's not that we don't like certain people or, you know, want them to generally be away from women, it's that we just think that prisons, like domestic violence shelters, like sports, like everything else should be separated by sex, when, you know, when it it makes sense to, which is usually so I think that's important to remember. The other thing that um, that's really important to know, and as far as I know, this is not applicable to the general population, but specifically in the prison context. Um, males who identify as transgender are dramatically more likely to be sex offenders, according to state and federal data. Wow. So in the federal system, 48% of men who self-identify as transgender are sex offenders. That's data from the Bureau of Prisons. And in California, it's 38%. And a third of those who have requested transfers are sex offenders. And that's compared to only like 14% of the regular male population and a negligible portion of the female population. Yeah, so, so it's
0: statistically significant. This is, this is a significant data point.
2: Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, we've gotten public records requests on the crimes committed by the men. So these are men who are already in the women's facilities. And it's horrific, there's forcible rape, there's vicious sex crimes, and arson, kidnapping, murder, things like that. There's one there for raping and torturing two women. There's one who's there for killing two infants, and the mother of those infants is in there with him. It's as awful as you can imagine it being.
0: Yeah, yeah. Or worse. Just extraordinary, wow. I mean, this is such an important issue now. Let me see if I got this right. This may, I I almost have a hard time saying that this was said, but were you actually accused of uh, committing genocide by word simply by trying to defend the women in these prisons?
2: Oh, yeah. And that lovely creature who wrote that in that editorial by name um, saying I was, it said a lot of stuff, but "Genocide by Word" caught my particular attention too.
0: <laughs> Yes, it would catch mine too.
2: <laughs> yeah. So the man who wrote that, his name is Michael Contreras Hernandez. He is serving a life sentence for multiple murders. He killed a man in the men's prison before transferring to the women's prison, and um, is his behavior so erratic that the women who have shared cells with him have taken turns staying awake at night because he stays awake or at times has, I think it's drug-induced, is, is the speculation from the women who are spending time around him, that he's a very dangerous person. Mm. And, you know, he's an intact male. He's very, he's he's very scary and intimidating.
0: Yeah. To and a, hist- and in a history of violence, a history of <laughs> bad conduct. Yeah, that's yeah. the guy yeah. accusing
2: me of, of genocide by wow. workers. The literal murderer. Unreal. And weirdo.
0: Un- so. Unreal. Uh, you have recently were kicked off a fundraising platform where you were trying to raise women to help raise money to help these women in the prison. Talk a little mm-hmm. bit about what happens there and what was your sin? What was your violation?
2: They didn't say. They just they said never we do. violated. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was, uh, so we used Give Butter because, you know, we felt that it was less likely to de-platform us than GoFundMe. We've seen how people have been treated on there and we wanted right. to use some, some, a platform that in the past has been less you know inclined to censor so uh, yes all they said they did they did not give us a reason we've appealed and they just said it was the most innocuous thing too it's it, we were just a national fundraiser it was trying to get some the state-by-state thing you could give to the money that your your region so you could give to the midwest if you're in the midwest and it was very much not not the not the fundraiser you'd expect to get canceled i guess yeah, and no it's we're a five oh one C three public charity. I mean
0: It is unreal. Not I mean, that anyone
2: should be censored, but Yeah.
0: Yeah, <laughs> but I mean you already approved you and when people understand this part of the work too, I mean this is just about a safety issue. This is about making sure that women in prisons don't get victimized uh in some form and and um it it's just it's just to me it's it's mind boggling to see how far we've come. Let me walk you through some of the recent headlines and um Get your take on where you stand. You, I mean, you're obviously you're you're very liberal, right? You're politically liberal, um, and so yeah. Yeah, and when you see, but let's take on um, Leah Thomas. She's you know, competing as a biological male against women in the NCAA championship, taking most of the awards. You see that I, I some of the pictures where you see the other swimmers who you know would have been first if it weren't for Leah Thomas being in the a lineup. The, the disappointment, the frustration. How do you reconcile. What what, what goes to your mind when you see that?
2: That it's a natural and predictable consequence of these policies that we can expect to see more of as time goes on. And I think that obviously it's unconscionable and to take away those opportunities for women to compete. And if you look at the people will say, oh, it's a small number of people, but look how many women were displaced by his participation, how many were knocked off the the team or the chance to compete the chance to go to the next level and things like that it's it's completely absurd and and you know he's in the locker room naked apparently they have trouble getting him to cover up it's completely predictable and foreseeable
0: yeah so you know you're a feminist but you you don't support biological males competing against uh females right
2: no not when it's other not for female only teams. Absolutely right. not. I mean, obviously there's co-ed teams that exist. Right. Of course. Yeah.
0: I, I didn't say that well, but on an all-female sport. Right.
2: Yeah. I, in situations, whether it's sports or otherwise, where it is permissible and ethical to exclude males, right? Locker rooms, et cetera, sports. Right. I don't believe that there should be exceptions for certain kinds of males.
0: Yeah, it's a pretty straightforward answer. And uh, uh, let me take you to an answer that wasn't so straightforward just a few days ago. Obviously, Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson going through her uh, confirmation. And And I understand the politics of this, Republicans are trying to create moments, but they asked her, could she define a woman? And the first two or three times she couldn't. As a feminist, what did that feel like, seeing another woman who couldn't define what a woman was?
2: It's very disappointing. It's very disappointing to hear that. And also, again, predictable, because you know that any candidate or any nominee who's put forth by this president is going to have already been vetted yeah. for their opinion on this subject. Right. It's it's absurd. I You know, some of the stuff you can only laugh at, too. I've seen memes go around where you have a cop pulled someone over and said, do you know how fast you were going? And he says, sir, I'm not a physicist. Um, <laughs> but yeah it's it's really that's kind of funny actually
0: the
1: yeah
2: <laughs> there's a lot of good ones um but yes it's very disappointing and I really really do hope that it was just one of those moments like you said and not something that is indicative of how she would rule on the bench because I do think she's you know, uh, my organization doesn't have a, a position on her. I right. do personally think she would be overall a good justice, and I think that I think that this is really unfortunate, and I hope it's not representative of how she actually feels, even though it's what she needs to say. Right? Like for- it seems
0: as though this cancel culture has made even very smart, bright people hesitant to answer questions that used to be common sense. You could answer them without consequence, and now. People are afraid to be caught in the cancel culture and censorship world. And, and, um, you know, there's no doubt that Judge Jackson is a very bright person, well-educated, well-spoken, couldn't find the courage to answer that question, which, by the way, is not very hard to answer. Um, but um, just, it, I, I think it's more, uh, not only a, a statement about her, it's probably more a statement about this moment in our country where we can't exactly. even have common common sense conversation. Um, Rachel Levine, the uh, high ranking HHS official who is also an admiral, um, uh, recently was named by USA to be, uh, as one of its women of the year. Your thought about a biological male, obviously transgender identifying, getting a woman of the year award.
2: Uh, I think it's a travesty. You're really doing the greatest hits of all my favorite people right now. (laughs) Sorry about that.
0: (laughs) Well, these are the moments. I mean, this is what people really are talking about. You know, obviously not on Twitter because you get thrown off on there, but in, in real, in homes, we're all struggling with this.
2: Of course. And Rachel Levine is, is truly an absurd individual who's not fit for the office. I you know, if for no other reason than his than his views on um, child transitioning that Senator Paul asked about during the, the confirmation hearings last year, as like the secretary or what was it the secretary of health I can't remember um, of was it Pennsylvania? I'm trying to think of what yeah, I was it was Pennsylvania, right? Was, yeah, that's right. Made terrible decisions and and said terrible things about you know children's ability to consent to life altering. Um, procedures, sterilizing procedures, without their parents' consent, or you know, kids in the foster system talking about how they should be fast tracked. So, I think that this person, I think it's terrible. Just again, someone who's knocked off the list, right? There's a woman who's not being honored because of that, and they have to. You know that if they didn't include someone like that, how complaints there would be that the list wasn't like inclusive enough.
0: Yeah. It's really remarkable. Are we in this cycle forever? Or is there a moment where people realize, uh, let's stop the world for a second. I want to get off and have a common sense conversation. Uh, Do we get to a point in the future where we can have an honest conversation that, you know, we don't all agree with what the elitist is saying. We don't agree with these policies. We want our daughters to compete against daughters in sports. Again, never discriminating. This doesn't have to go the other way and say, oh, we're going to discriminate, make fun of people um that's going backwards but certainly there's a legitimate uh uh debate in america and there's a small group of people that are trying to prevent that debate from occurring can it be overcome
2: i think so and i think it will be although i don't know the timeline but i think it's really helpful to think of what we're going through right now as a moral panic and i i'm not trying to say this as like to be over dramatic but i think of like the salem witch trials and what people got caught up in Or the Red Scare, you know, or just things like that, where there's just this uh, escalating, having to have the right opinions and the consequences of it. They just want to destroy people. It's unsustainable just in human group psychology, I I really think. So I just am looking for the end of it. I, I say that people talking and people getting together and sharing ideas is really valuable. Like you said, just regular people. Yeah. I Love the work that I do with our nonpartisan partners. Um, we work all across the spectrum, left to right at uh, Wolf. And I just learned so much. And i uh, it's made me a much better person, I think, just being exposed to more ideas and more kinds of people getting along. And I think we're going to just see more of that people are going to start to opt out of some of the online stuff.
0: I think you're right. In fact, I I have a theory and a lot of times conservatives say, oh, I'm being shadow banned on Twitter. I'm not sure we're we're being shadow banned. I think that many people have just dropped off the platform and didn't cancel their accounts. I think there's a moment where people are just saying, oh, my God, stop this. I, I'm not going to go on that for this. And it's funny how sometimes free market forces end up sorting these things out, which is, all right, you guys want to have that? You can be that, but I'm not. I'm not joining your product anymore. I think that's going to be. I think it's not going to be a boycott. It's just going to be people like, ah, I'm moving on to something else uh, that, that doesn't match exactly. my values. You have so much that your group does, and you know obviously the prison lawsuit is very important. Uh, you strongly support women in so many different ways. Uh, you know, there's a lot of conservative listeners on this podcast. They may not agree with all of the philosophies, but the idea that women should be protected, that uh, young girls should be protected, is is something we all universally share. What are some of the other things that you're doing at, at WLF?
2: Yeah, so we we have you know our core issue areas include reproductive autonomy which is broader than for us just abortion rights right. which i know is definitely something in the audience uh probably oh, but, but you know you yeah. look at it as the right to have children too right. so the right yeah. against sterilization and that that goes into some of the child transitioning things and the things that we do to like harm young people and sterilization you look at what's going on in china um surrogacy commercial surrogacy and other commercial sexual and reproductive exploitation, pornography and prostitution. All of these things go hand in hand. The people yeah. who are promoting things like putting men in women's prisons are also promoting legalizing other ways that women are objectified and exploited for for profit. I mean, porn is like a many, many billion dollars oh, a year yes. industry. And it's, it's a, yeah. No. And, It is harming. People make fun of like some states have declared it a public health crisis and people make fun of that. I almost think that's understating it. It, What it does to the people who view it or participate in it is just very harmful. So we work against that a lot. And then for LGB rights, so for the rights of lesbian and bisexual women, which again is much more expansive than things like um, marriage or adoption rights that really goes into political autonomy and the right to self definition. Um, and we have found a lot of common ground with our conservative partners on those issues of, you know, people need to be able to decide who they're associating with and what they can say about themselves and about groups that they're a part of. And right now you have lesbians who get kicked off Twitter for saying that, you know, lesbians don't have male parts. Yeah.
0: It's, it's unreal. It's really, yeah, no, it's it,
2: yeah, and they're they definitely they're not getting their bans overturned. You know, it's
0: yeah, no, it's amazing.
2: So that's, that's kind of what we do at Wolf.
0: <laughs> I know you also, and I, you know, I want to ask about this, but sex trafficking uh, seems to be on the rise in a very significant way. Many of the law enforcement officers I'm talking to are raising really serious concerns about it. Um, how bad is the problem in America? Is clearly ground ground zero for right? We're one of the largest. Um, uh, repositories of of sex trafficking rings, how bad a situation do we have in this country right now? And what can we do to not only support the victims that have been rescued, but also to try to stop the scourge?
2: It is really bad. Um, And I think some of it just being we have such a decentralized legal system. We got 50 states and then there's federal, and it, it can be really hard to stop what is a very ever moving process of moving people around. I do think the best way to probably on a a larger level support this is to fight against the legalization of prostitution. There's a lot of really well-intentioned people who want to, who say, okay, the best way to really get help to victims is to make sure that it's not, you know, criminalized and then people can, but we see in other places that have legalized it, where it all it does is end up increasing demand. And when you increase demand, then you need people to increase supply. So they bring in, that's where you get more trafficking to that area from other areas. And it just, as soon as you have the government saying, this is okay to do, it's legal to do, then it kind of gives some moral permission to some people too. So I think really resisting that urge to, to try and do that. We support the equality model, which is also called the Nordic model, which decriminalizes the selling of sex, but not the buying of sex. So it means that, women and, and children who are prostituted who are you know exploited are not charged with crimes they're treated as victims but that those who buy sex and those who traffic and yeah. and all of that that they're still charged
0: yeah so important it is you're doing a lot of important work and it's shameful to think that the very important work you're doing is being thwarted in some way by this insane censorship uh, moment that is going on. If people wanna get involved or do something, uh, what, how, how can they get involved with Wolf?
2: Well, you can follow us on social media. You can go to our website at womensliberationfront.org and sign up for our email list. We often have calls to action that are state specific and opportunities to testify. And we have resources for people who might wanna get involved in their own state. Um, and just find out what's going on and learn the latest things. But we're not going to let ourselves be deplatformed. We'll just keep finding new platforms. That's we're not going to be quiet. That's so. it.
0: Yeah, don't stop. Eventually, you're going to beat them. There's no doubt about it. That's what we've learned in the censorship game. Somewhere soon, there's a platform that's actually going to re- respect free speech. And there are many now. They're they're coming up all over the place. So. Uh, Lauren, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I know you're fighting some very important parts. A lot of people don't want to think about these issues. They don't want to know that there are men sleeping in, uh, biological men sleeping in women's women's prison cells and assaulting women's. And you make us and force us to think about it so that we can solve the problem. And we're really grateful for that work.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. This is great.
0: A lot of fun. All right, folks. We're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back after this commercial message. committed to preserving our cherished values and actively opposing the leftist agenda that's sweeping across America. Just look at their recent victories. AMAC members helped to push forward in investigation into practices that inflate drug prices. They successfully defeated ranked choice voting in order to protect traditional voting methods, and they've also helped block a federal takeover of elections. And so much more. It's a community, not a service. Take advantage of our election year sale. Four years for just thirty dollars at AMAC. By joining over two million Americans, they can't ignore your voice in Washington anymore. Join now at AMAC, AMAC.us slash just news. That's amacus forward slash. and protect your most important asset, the equity in your home.
3: Tonight, we are breaking some news of our own right here on this show. A major whistleblower investigation has exposed new ethics problems inside the Veterans Affairs Department. Joining us right now to tell us why this news is important is Jason Foster, the founder and president of the very important whistleblower group called Empower Oversight. Jason, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
3: Our pleasure. Okay, so for our audience who hasn't had a chance to go to justthenews.com and read this story, give everybody just kind of an overview of the allegations, the investigation, and what the inspector general ultimately found.
1: Sure. So um, early last year, some whistleblowers went to Senator Grassley's office, uh, my former employer, uh, and uh, they disclosed to him some conflicts of interest that were going on at the, the Veterans Affairs Administration. So, Basically, the story is a senior official there who's in charge of uh, GI Bill benefits uh, had, uh, was married to someone who was, uh, had a contract relationship working for an outside uh, left-wing um, uh, organization that often has business before her. Uh, They're often uh, advocating before, um, uh, before this official, and they were often um, you know seeking contracts and MOUs and access to data that they could use to raise money. And so it presented what was, uh, you know, a pretty obvious conflict of interest, a government official whose spouse is involved in business that they're doing, making official decisions on, that's that's not appropriate and it should be disclosed and uh, there should be steps taken to mitigate that conflict of interest. Um, so uh, Senator Grassley wrote to the VA and asked about this and a whole host of uh, related issues. And the Inspector General opened an investigation late last year uh, and they just uh, finished their or uh, early last year and they just finished their report and put it out yesterday, which substantiated most of what the whistleblowers had told Senator Grassley's office, uh, which was that indeed this uh, this senior VA official who was in charge of GI Bill benefits was making decisions on matters that were related to her husband's employer uh, and her husband's clients. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, it it took uh um, Quite, it took much longer than it should have to get to that truth, but um, it's finally now out, and the basic, uh, you know, the basic facts are pretty clear in the IG report, and it's a pretty egregious conflict of interest. We, at Empower Oversight, had issued uh, FOIA requests, Freedom of Information Act requests, to the VA um, uh, last year, trying to get to uh, to find out why they were ignoring Senator Grassley's letters, because he had sent two or three letters on this issue and had never gotten a response. One of the things that we learned was we we got a, a a document through the Freedom of Information Act that showed that the agency had actually gathered all the answers to Senator Grassley's letter, but then they didn't send them. Uh, and the copy that they provided to us actually redacted all of those answers. Um, so we have appeals going on with the VA and we're going to continue pushing for more uh, for more transparency. But essentially, the story is, you know this VA official, uh, you know, w- did have this conflict of interest. It wasn't properly disclosed. It wasn't properly dealt with. Uh, her supervisors knew about it. And uh, now, you know, as is typically the case in these matters, and John will be familiar with this pattern, uh, she resigned in the middle of the IG investigation. In fact, refused to cooperate with the, uh, 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 with the IG. That's one of the findings in the report is that she didn't fully cooperate as she was required to do as a VA employee and actually resigned um, uh, rather than, complete a second interview with the IG about all these issues. Uh,
0: Just amazing. You know, Jason, you've been in this town a long time. You were alongside Senator Grassley for some of the epic whistleblower cases of the last quarter century. But there seems to be this extraordinary uh, drop in concern about ethics. And and when I say that, I mean, listen, we know Hunter Biden had no problem jumping on Air Force Two, going to Beijing, cutting a a business deal with his dad at his side or uh, taking on the Burisma thing while his dad was in charge of Ukraine policy. Um, but there, uh, in Congress, we see spouses that are cashing in on their, on their congressional members' uh, fame or po- policy positions. Um, have we gotten so far from the Watergate era, the reforms of the of Watergate era, that Washington just yawns about these very important requirements that uh, elected officials and bureaucratic officials are supposed to find?
1: Well, yes, um, a lot of the time. Part of the problem, though, is you know it, it sort of depends on whose uh, whose ox is being bored, right? Sometimes there sometimes the, there seems to be a, a very aggressive pursuit of ethics questions, um, you know, which is usually you know t- too often politically motivated, right? In you know in this case, um, there 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 isn't a political motivation behind it. You know, the the whistleblowers, um, uh, you know, who brought these issues to Senator Grassley. You know, they don't have a political view um, that's that's contrary to the, you know, the, the current administration or the previous administration. You know, it was about fair treatment. Uh, and there's often a double standard where some people get away with a lot more than other people get away with. Um, and, you know, um, whistleblowers in this case, you know, the, were, were, they saw that double standard and they wanted to do something about it. Um, and that's why they made the reports that they did.
3: Jason, corruption is endemic to politics and Washington, D.C., but call me nihilistic. I feel like corruption has spiked in the last 10 or 20 years. Why haven't the number of whistleblowers gone up?
1: Well, I don't. There's a there are a lot of barriers to blowing the whistle safely. Uh, And, you know, retaliation against whistleblowers is extreme um, and you know once you've put yourself in that position and you've risked your career to speak up and 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 do the right thing you know it can put you through financial emotional um uh and all kinds of other trials uh and you know a lot of people just make the decision that you know it's not worth it um and it's hard to fault them for that when the uh you know when even when the laws are in their favor getting the laws enforced uh even-handedly and equally uh, is often very difficult, and if nobody's watching and nobody's paying attention, then it just doesn't get done. I mean, in this case, for example, you know, one of the unanswered—you know—the IG did a pretty good job, and and you know, I'm glad they put out the report that they did and they exposed what they did. But it's only a narrow slice of what we know to have occurred. Um, and one of the things I'm going to be doing at Empower Oversight is following up, um, you know, and continuing to ask hard questions of the IG about, for example why it didn't open an investigation into this very clear conflict long before it actually did. The only reason they did anything, it looks like, is because a U.S. senator started asking about it. Well, they should have opened it when the whistleblower originally contacted them or when they originally learned about it from the whistleblower reports inside the agency. Um, That's, you know, that's why whistleblowers don't come forward, is they don't have a faith that anyone's going to listen to them or do anything about it. Um, and, you know, so therefore the risk isn't worth it. You know, it takes it, it, it takes, um, you know, you're taking a risk to stick your neck out there. And if you think that nobody's going to do anything, um, then you're less likely to take that risk. And unfortunately, the Veterans Administration, um, you know, has a long history of not doing a good job of listening to and reacting to and fixing the problems that whistleblowers report.
0: Yeah, there's so many whistleblowers that were left at the side of the road. Fortunately, your group has really stepped up. It's only about a year old. It's already making enormous impact, whether it's at NIH and all the things you're doing there, here at the VA. If someone's in government right now, they're watching this show and they know of wrongdoing in the Biden administration or just in a bureaucratic agency, how can they engage with you? How can they engage in a way that actually brings about change for the American taxpayer, for the uh, American voter?
1: Well, that's what we're focused on helping people do. So, you know, they can go to our website at empoweroversight.org and there's a link there where you can contact us. You can contact us uh, securely um, and confidentially, and we're not going to disclose your identity to anyone without your permission. Um, You know, that's the, uh, the, you know, the the promise that I've made to whistleblowers for years and years when I was in government and now, you know, in the private sector doing, doing similar kind of work. Um, So, you know, we, we have, we, we can't, we can't help everybody, but we will help as many people as we can. And we look at all of the reports that come in and, um, you know, we sort through them. And if you we can't refer you out to someone else uh, and if, you know, uh, then we'll do our best to help you or, um, you know. So but we appreciate everybody who contacts us.
3: Jason, we appreciate you so much. It's really important work. And, you know, as Americans, we look at all of the government agencies and the corruption that abounds within them. And, and at least Veterans Affairs, like. I think so many Americans feel like if we can at least get one organization or agency on the up and up, it's got to be Veterans Affairs because we've got to take care of our veterans. So, Jason, we appreciate you so much. Thank
0: you. All right, folks, we'll be right back with more amazing news right after the break. Thanks for listening to John Solomon Reports.
3: Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe
0: All right, folks, that wraps up another edition. Thank you for joining. Uh, Two great interviews. A big thanks to Lauren. A big thanks to Jason. Two very thoughtful, meaty interviews. And, you know, a lot of times people say there's nothing that liberals and conservatives agree on. And the answer is that is not true. We actually agree on a lot more in America than we disagree. And I think Lauren Adams showed that today. You can be a liberal feminist championing women's rights and still find... What's going on in the California prison system with biological males being put into biological females prison cells? About what's going on in the NCA swimming championships? What's going on with a admiral who is appointed to a senior position in the U.S. Health and Human Services Department? And also be frustrated that Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson couldn't answer and define what a woman was. Those are important things that we can all agree on. And Lauren sounded like a conservative on some of those things because common sense sometimes is the most important thing that prevails in America. A big thanks to Lauren and of course, Jason Foster for championing and protecting whistleblowers, for protecting the American taxpayer. Jason Foster is an extraordinary force in Washington. Great show all around. So glad you can join us today. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition. So. Tune back in tomorrow and if you need a news fix between now and then, you know where to go. Justthenews.com anytime you want. Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner. Whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane like a tick bite,